Samuel chapter 17, okay? It's, uh, you may not know exactly what's in that chapter, but as soon as I begin to start talking, you'll remember it, okay? Over the last several weeks, we've been kind of looking at some old Bible stories, stories that if you grew up in church at all, you'd remember, and today's going to be one of those. Today, we're going to be talking about David and Goliath, and incredible, incredible story. In fact, I probably could call you up here and you could uh, tell the story or preach the message better than me, except I'm the preacher and I get to do it, okay? By the way, Lord willing, next week we're going to do the same thing, okay? We're going to be talking about Daniel, I hope again, at least, talk about Daniel and uh, my message next week is going to be America Needs Integrity. Today we're going to be talking about David and Goliath. I, I titled the message, All for God's Glory. And let me tell you why I did. Uh, It's a fabulous story. And as we begin to work through the story, there's a whole lot of applications that we're going to begin pulling out of. Uh, Applications about where you are today, uh, maybe some of the things you're wrestling with today, or some ways you can deal with some of the issues that you're facing today. Okay? So there's a lot of applications we'll be drawing out of. But again, what what I want you to know, and where my heart is in this passage, is this. Everything that David did, the stand that he took, the actions that that he took, he did for one reason alone, and that was because his God was being ridiculed. His God was being blasphemed. The name of his God was being reproached. And David took it personally. And dear people, I believe maybe today as never before. In a culture that blasphemes the name of our God. In a culture that ridicules the name of our God. God's people should take that personally. God's people should stand against this tidal wave of ungodliness, this tidal wave of blasphemy against God. It is time for God's people to stand. Let me just share my heart with you. I believe that this election is one of those moments where God's people should evaluate what is at stake and stand on biblical principles. And I know that's been my theme. You may be getting tired of it. You've only got two weeks before the election. I'll change after that, okay? But oh, dear people, dear people, we have to evaluate, we have to stick our nose like a deer smells for predators. We must stick our nose in the air. We must sniff at what's going on around us. And we must evaluate what we as the people of God are going to do. Because it's the people of 
God that determines how the nation goes. The United States of America is a basically lost nation. Yet there are enough of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. There are enough of us who say that we belong to the, to the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ, dear people. That we must evaluate what's going on. And we must make a decision based upon biblical values, even when there are challenges which is what we're going to see in David's life. And so I don't want to miss the message. I don't want to miss the made story of David. David did what he did because the name of his God was at stake. Now we're going to lift out a lot of different applications. I, I guess in a sense, all of us have our Goliaths, do we not? I don't know who or what your Goliath may be. It could be a person. That's always challenging you. It could be a situation that you find yourself in. Maybe, maybe your Goliath is some kind of a past that keeps taunting you, keeps ridiculing you, keeps making you think you can never be any good or do anything for God, and it's a past that seems to always keep dragging you down. That may be your Goliath. Maybe it's an uncertain future. Maybe you're not sure what's going to happen tomorrow or next month or next year. I don't know what your Goliath is. I can tell you that we each of us have our Goliaths. The challenge to our faith. The challenge to who we are. And that Goliath is there across that valley of Elah, shouting and taunting, challenging us. And we've got to determine what we're going to do. So let me tell you, we're going to, we've got a lot to read, so we're, and we're going to do that. But let me tell you how I kind of want to handle the story, okay? The first thing I want to do is I want to talk about the fear of a nation. The nation of Israel was wrapped up in fear. I believe the United States of America, many are wrapped up in fear today. And I want to talk to you about fear and what it is and how it comes about. That's going to be our first challenge a little bit, okay? The second thing I want to do, I want to talk to you about the faith of a shepherd boy. The fear of a nation and the consuming faith of a ruddy, young, handsome shepherd boy. Now in the process, we're going to be talking about a guy who's about 10 foot tall, okay, Goliath. And then we're going to be talking about a guy who, in my mind anyway, is about 5 foot 8 it really makes me feel better about myself, okay? And we're going to be talking about what this guy did, why he did it, and the outcome of it, okay? So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'll tell you what I want us to do. I want us to stand in honor of God's Word, and I want us to read the first 11 verses, okay? And then when I'm through, if you want to sit down, you can. We're going to pick up around verse 22, Somewhere around there, read through somewhere around verse 48 or 49. I'll stop somewhere along the process, okay? And then we'll just see what God says to us. By the way, um, I know you're standing, you'll get tired, but I was going to say this in, in my message, but let me, let me just say it now. The key to hearing a message 
and understanding a message has nothing to do with what a preacher says, okay? It has nothing to do with the messenger. The goal for you today is not to hear what Tom says. The goal for you today is to hear what the Holy Spirit wants you to know. Many years ago, I, my pastor preached a, a marvelous message, and I went up to him afterwards, and man, I was just tooting his horn, you know, and I said, oh, Brother Step, man, look, I got your outline, I, and he's, he pulled me aside. He said, son, let me, Brother Step, I always say, son, he said, son, let me tell you something. Forget the outline. You can call the church, we can give it to you tomorrow. Forget what I say, because you'll forget it in a few days. The goal is to hear what God says. And as I go into this story, and I'm going to tell you things you already know because you've learned them from a child. It's not what I say. It's what the Holy Spirit will be pleased to say into your heart today. And that's vitally important. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Succah which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Succa and Azekah in Ephesadamamim. And I said to the first service, I'm not cussing, I just don't know how to pronounce that name, okay? All right, verse 2. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had a bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. The head of the spear weighed six Hundred shekels of iron, his shield carrier also walked before him. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, and he said to them, Why do you come out and draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine? And notice what he says, And you the servants of Saul, I'm going to come back to that. You the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves, let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, we'll become your servants. And if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and servants. Do you realize how important this was? If somebody did go up and fight against him and got beat, not only would he die, but the whole nation would be taken into captivity. That's a, that's a big thing here, okay? And again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, let me, let me kind of interject. We pick up now with David in verse 12. He's out in the field. His daddy tells him to go check on the boys and take some food. So David does that. He shows up. Let's say, uh, well, I was going to start in verse 22. Let's say verse 20. David, early in the morning, left the flock with the keeper, took his supplies, went to Jesse, and did what Jesse commanded him. He came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper, 
He ran to the battle line and he entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And notice, he spoke these same words and David heard them. Then all the men of Israel saw the man and they fled from him and they were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. It will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter, make his father's house free in Israel. And David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And now notice what David says. This is why this is about God. Sure, he's going to get some riches and get a woman. But this is about God. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Did you get that? Goliath said the armies of Saul. David said the armies of the living God. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. The people answered him in accord with his word saying, this will be done to the man who kills him. Verse 28 is really funny to me. Eliab, the older brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and his anger burned against David. Why have you come down here? Why have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know the insolence and the wickedness of your heart. You have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? It wasn't just a question. It was like siblings. What? What have I done now? You know, I ain't done nothing. You ever had that said to you by an older brother or sister? Eliab, he wasn't going to fight. Why didn't he go out and fight? You know? By the way, why didn't Saul go out and fight? They say he was six foot six. Why didn't that dude go out and fight? When the Philistine, when Goliath was shouting all that, Saul was as scared as the rest of them. Verse 30, he turned away, said the same thing, and he got the same answer. Now, verse 31, when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, by the way, if you get tired, you can sit down, okay? And he sent it for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight. And Saul said, you're not, you can't go against the to fight with you. are just a youth. He's been a warrior from his youth. David said, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took the lamb from the flock, I went out after him, attacked him, and rescued it from my, his mouth. When he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted, what, the armies of the living God. Do you get the sense of righteous indignation? David was ticked off because God was being attacked. Do you get ticked off today when the God-haters rail against Almighty God? When they rail that unborn babies should be killed? Do you get mad when the ungodly of our world today says it's all right for a man to be with a man and a woman to be with a woman in defiance to the Word of God and Almighty God? Do you get ticked off? You ought to. David's pretty ticked off. I don't even know where I'm at. Your servant has killed both the lion and no, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. He has taunted the armies of the living God. The Lord, that Lord, verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he's going to deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And David said, go and may the Lord be with you. 
Let me skip on down. He tried his armor, Saul's armor. It didn't work. It was kind of a joke. He took it off. The Bible says, um, um, though the Philistine, verse 43, I, am I a dog that you come with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said, come, verse 44, come to me. I give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. And notice verse 45 what David said. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted this day. The Lord will deliver. Would God give us David's today? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down. I'm going to cut your head off. And I'll give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines today to the birds of the sky and wild beasts of the earth, that all Israel may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated. I know you need to rest, okay? All right. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I want to talk to you a little bit about fear for a moment, okay? The nation was gripped in fear. We're going to call it consuming fear. Everywhere they went, there was fear. Every time they saw this guy come out, there was fear. Now, what is fear? Well, I'm going to give you my definition. And I could be wrong, but it's mine. I want to give it to you. Fear is an overabsorption of facts or perhaps perceived facts, whether those facts are true or not. Are you with me? Fear is an overabsorption of what might be construed as true facts, even though they may be false facts, and, it, and that's an oxymoron, but it doesn't make any difference whether they're actually true or not. It's an overboard over, or an overabsorption of those things you're told. Now, dear people, fear thrives on perceived threats, even when the threats are false, and many of them are. Some classify fear as that yellow streak going down the back. I don't believe that for one moment. I believe that fear is a very real thing in very real time, and very real people have to deal with it. It's much more than a feeling. Fear affects your life. You with me on that? Now, let me show you, and I'm not going to reread these verses, but let me share with you three things that fear does that's given to us in this story. If you'll bracket verses 4 through 7, you'll find, first of all, that fear distorts your vision. Look at verses 4 through 7 as I talk. Let's read verse 24 for sure, okay? The servants of Saul reported to him according to these words. Whoop. Verse 24. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. What does fear do? Fear causes you not to see right. Fear blurs reality. When I was a little boy, I, uh, I, my parents started noticing that I got up close to the TV so I could see. They started noticing when I was going to school that I 
didn't make really good grades because I couldn't see what was going on. Of course, that didn't change as I grew up. I, all I could see was my mistakes then. But what they began to realize was that I didn't have good eyesight. So they took me to the doctor. I can remember this as a child. They took me to the eye doctor. And I got an eye checkup, and the doctor said, that guy can't see. And I remember getting my first pair of glasses, and all of a sudden I thought, my goodness, this is all different. Some of us need to get some new spiritual glasses. Some of us need to go maybe to the Word of God or into the presence of God and get our eyes checked. You know why? Because fear distorts your vision. Oftentimes when faced with challenges, what do we see? We see the challenge. But we don't see the God behind the challenge. We see a high mountain we can't scale. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's some kind of relationship. And we see this mountain we can't scale. Or we see a valley that we can't navigate through. But we fail to see God in it. The nation was in a crisis. And they thought they couldn't get through it. But listen to me. The crisis wasn't the Philistines. The crisis wasn't Goliath. It was their vision of God. A great preacher, I don't even know who it was, but a great preacher one time said that God is our greatest ally. You believe that? If God be for us, who can be against? You believe that, don't you? That God is our greatest ally. And then in the next breath he said, but God is also our greatest threat. Do you believe that? You better. See, When God's people do it God's way, they see God. Not that there's not challenges. There'll always be challenges. But when they do it God's way, God gets involved, they see God. When God's people don't do it God's way, then God begins his it's called remedial judgments. It's called the disciplines of God. And gang, I'm telling you, church, listen. If you don't pray through, and if you don't vote biblical convictions, then why in the world should God bless a nation that continues to more murder unborn babies? That continues at a speed which is just incredible to me to reject marriage between a man and a woman. That's God's plan clearly in the Bible. God shows us that. But you see, when you're wrapped up in fear like this nation, you don't see things real clearly. They saw a 10-foot guy with armor weighing about 150 pounds with a spearhead of 16, that's a shot put, 16 pounds. But let me ask you, what did they see when they looked at God? Or do you think maybe they were even looking at God? I don't think so. I think all they saw was Goliath. Now, can I ask you, what is your vision of God? Isaiah saw him and he was high and lifted up, wasn't he? What is your vision of God? Because you see, when you're wrapped up in fear, you can't see God right. Everything becomes blurry. Fear distorts your vision. Number two, verses 8 through 11, you can look at it as I'm talking. 
Fear also deceives your hearing. I want to read 23 and 24. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke the same words. David heard them. Fear not only distorts your vision, but fear deceives your hearing. Did you catch it? The nation of Israel and the shepherd boy, all, according to verse 23, all heard the same things. Maybe it's not what you hear. Or maybe, church, it's what you hear. You see, they heard the same words, but their understanding was completely different. That's why I say maybe it's not what you hear. Maybe it's what you hear. Over time, every once in a while, when we come home from church, Paula will say things like, uh, uh, do you know what you said? And I say, yeah, I said this. She said, no, you didn't. And I said, yeah, that's what I said. And she would say, in love, in Jesus' name, that may be what you said, but let me tell you what we heard. And I say, you've got to be kidding me. That's what I said? Maybe it's not what you say as much as what you hear, you see. For 40 days, twice a day, 80 times, gang, 40 days. Twice a day, 80 times. This ungodly, uncircumcised Philistine would come and taught the armies of the living God with words that the Bible wouldn't even put in, and I wouldn't ever say. After a while, they began to believe it. Sounds like a political campaign, doesn't it, you know? Where was Eliab, the firstborn? He was listening to the ungodly guy. Where was King Saul, the leader of the nation? He was gathered with all the men for 80 times, listening to an ungodly man chastise the, all, the name of Almighty God. You see, fear not only messes your eyesight up, fear messes your hearing up. One more thing, if you look at verse 25, fear distracts your mind. Look at verse 29. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. He's coming up to defy Israel. Let me tell you, amazing. These boys were defeated before the ball was ever hiked. You know? They were like a ball team in a huddle looking out over the team that's lining up against them. It would be like a high school team looking over at, at University of Alabama. I really want to say Arkansas, but not, next year we'll do Arkansas. I mean, think about it. They're in this huddle. They're just a bunch of boys, and here these monsters are, and they say, uh-oh, this ain't going to be good. I'm in a mess. They were beat before the ball was ever hiked. They were beat before the whistle ever blew. And gang, when you're facing big challenges, I want you to know today that the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America, is facing big, big challenges. When you face these kinds of challenges, then we must never give way to human analysis. We must never give way to human rationalizing. We must give way to God's revelation. And God's revelation is given to us in the Word of God. Now before we go on, and talk about David for just a moment. Let me give you something to chew on. 
okay? The children of Israel were in a state of panic because they forgot who they were. Look at, look at verse 8. What did, what did Goliath say? You servants of who? Saul. They weren't servants of Saul. They were servants of God. They were servants of the Most High God. And Saul was there all along. That was happening, you see. Now, dear people, listen. In the challenges that we face, in your life when you're faced with this Goliath that's screaming to you over your valley of Elah, whatever that valley, whatever that challenge may be, don't forget who you are. Listen, if you've been blood-bought, if you've been saved by grace through faith, if you understand that you're a sinner in the eyes of God and Jesus Christ died on our cross to provide atonement for your sin, you're not a servant of the world. You're a servant of the Most High God. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. Don't let anybody intimidate you out of it. You belong to God. And when you were saved, God was pleased to put His Spirit in you and you can do all things, the Bible says, through Christ who strengthens you. Don't forget who you are. Now, let's look at verse 32. And, and let's, let's shift. Let's, here's how I want to close it out. Okay? How do you move? Here's the question for us. How do you move from fear to faith? Let's recognize fear, okay? It's there. But how are we going to move from fear to faith? How can we be a David, not a Saul, and run when the Philistines come taunting? Well, beginning in verse 32 through verse 37, I've already read that. The first thing that David did, David remembered God's past provisions. Do you remember? Don't forget this. Here's what he did. He, 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 he remembered that in the past, God delivered him from the paws of a lion. And God delivered him from the paws of a bear. And he remembered that when they had his daddy's lamb, he ran up and with a not grabbed the beard of a bear or lion, who in the world would ever do that? Slit that thing's throat. And he said, listen, if I slew a bear, if I slew a lion, this guy's too big to miss. You see, He remembered God's past provisions. And oh, dear people, listen. When you're in this battle with the Philistines, when you're in this battle with, with Goliath, whatever, whoever it is, stop a moment. Look back into your life. Recall the moments that God rescued you from the challenge. I, I want you to know, I wouldn't be standing before you today with some of the challenge that has come along in the pastoral ministry and, and trying to help people and making mistakes along the way and struggling with all the pressures of trying to reach people and touch people and help people and feeling so inadequate with all of that. And I wouldn't be in ministry today if I wasn't able to look back 
and see what God had done in my life in the past. Oh, I can tell you stories where He rescued, where He delivered, where He protected. David, faith was strong because he knew God's past provisions. Don't forget that, okay? The second thing is in verse 38 through 40, he acknowledged God's present power. Don't forget this, gang. He didn't need, and you don't need, the world's toys. You don't need the world's philosophies or compromises. You don't need the world's toys. You've got God's tools. I know that our battles come dressed up most of the time physically, usually a person. But I want to tell you, the battles we fight are spiritual. Look at that verse, 2 Corinthians 10.4. If we're in a spiritual battle, then what are our weapons? The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. David couldn't even wear Saul's armor. It didn't fit. So he went out, took it off, went out, grabbed five stones and got his sling. And the Bible says he ran, not away from, but he ran toward the enemy. And he slung a stone, and verse 50 said he prevailed, which means he was stronger. Here's a runt, stronger than Goliath. And he won a great victory because he knew that God was with him. He remembered God's past provisions. He knew of God's present power. Verse 41 through 49, David believed God's future promises. Look kind of with me, just kind of gander at that as I, as I close it out here. Verse 41 through 49, look at the future tenses of the verbs there. I will, you see that? I will deliver you. That's future tense. I will strike you. Got that? I will remove your head. I will give your dead body to the birds. Verse 46, and all the world will know there's a God in Israel. Verse 47, he talking of God, God will give you into our hands. David was secure because he knew his future was secure, and it was secure through faith in Almighty God. And dear people, I want you to know that God is the same yesterday. God is the same today. And God is the same forever. Our worlds change. I understand that. Our leaders change. I understand that. Kingdoms change. I understand that. God never changes. Thus, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. By the way, some of you might wonder why he picked five stones. Have you ever wondered why he picked five stones? How many of you have ever wondered that? Okay. How many of you have never thought about it? Really? Well, let me tell you why. It's a great theological truth. He figured that if he missed four times, he better get him on the fifth or his head was going to get chopped off. Okay? The fact is, I don't know. But I think he picked up five because he figured he had five shots at the guy before the guy got to him. So if he missed on four, he'd get him on five. He knew he was going to get him. He just didn't know it was going to be one or five. Okay. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. 
here's what I want to suggest to you. In a couple weeks, when you go to the polls, you don't need a sword. Take a sling. And take a few stones. Just be sure the sling and the stones are God's. And you stand and you vote as God would stand and vote. And whatever happens, you walk away knowing, I stood with God. Now let me tell you on a personal note. I've been in ministry a long time now, it seems. Soon be 30 years. Dear people, I don't know that it's ever been harder for the church today than today. I don't know if the challenges are any harder on families than today. I don't know that the wind has ever blown any stronger against the things of God than it's blowing today. But I want to tell you, I don't know that it's ever been a better day to be a believer in and a follower in Jesus Christ. It's a great, great time to live. It's a time when you can manifest the presence and the power of God in your life in a way that there's a very clear line of demarcation. That as people see you live for Christ and make your decisions for Christ and stand up for Christ, they'll see very clearly that you're not part of the world and you're not part of that fake part that one day will disintegrate and be no more. They'll know that you're part of a people that'll live for all of eternity. And so while the challenges probably have never been greater, Oh, the opportunities have never been greater. What a great day to live. What a great day to raise a family in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. What a great day to stand with a sling and five smooth stones and say, how dare you defy the God of eternity. How dare you make accusations against the Word of God that endures forever? It's time for the church to be the church. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I praise you for who you are. 